any of you over these last few weeks felt just fleetingly for a passing moment here or there, every once in a great while, just a tiny little bit of despair? I have. And if so, then these words are for you this morning. This is a little poem by Wendell Berry called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake at night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things, who don't tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Has the presence of still water ever soothed your soul in a way that no human presence could? Has a drake or a heron ever become a sign to you like the rainbow in the cloud was a sign to Noah about God's care and promise? Have the moon and the stars been your companions even now during the dead of winter when so much of nature is hibernating? Have they kept watch with you when you otherwise felt alone on this earth? In every season, nature ministers to us. In Mark's gospel that we heard today, the verse about Jesus' time in the wild is usually translated as, he was in the wilderness with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. But the New Testament was written in Greek, which is a little more grammatically vague than English is. And some people believe it's just as valid to translate that verse as, he was in the wilderness and the angels and the wild animals ministered to him. So the creatures took care of him too, as they do for all of us so many times. Just in about the last two weeks, here are three encounters that you have shared with me. Linda McNally and Wayne Harrington told me that they came out to their yard the other day and counted 10 cardinals in a circle around their bird feeder. Hard not to take that as a sign, as a little wink from God saying that all is well. Joanne Everts, who attends our 7.30 Mass, was talking to me about making the drive out to the farm in the country to visit her horse. And of course, in the winter, there's no possibility of her riding the horse these days, but she just likes to go and be in her presence, smell the scent of her mane, feed her and brush her hair. And the week isn't quite the same if she doesn't go. She doesn't feel quite herself in the same way. The horse ministers to her. And a couple of weeks ago, as you know, we had our Pauline Silko's funeral. And as those of you who were there will no doubt remember, present in the front row was her very, very beloved dog. And all through the first part of the service, this dog was whimpering in a way that was so clearly sad. And so when Pauline's sons came up to the podium uh, to speak, Reverend Myra encouraged them to bring the dog along so that they could comfort her. 
So Pauline's youngest carried her in his arms up to the podium. But she also helped us. Her cries so clearly expressed what we humans in the room were trying to hold in, but very much wanted to let out. She gave us permission to not be okay, which we need sometimes. Non-animal creatures minister to us as well, non-animal beings. Thomas Merton said, the pale flowers of the dogwood outside my window are saints. The little yellow flowers that nobody notices on the side of the road are saints looking up into the face of God. The fish hiding in the deep pools of the river are canonized by their beauty and their strength. The lakes hidden in the hills are saints. The sea, too, is a saint who praises God with her majestic dance. When I was at a crisis point in my ministry, as Jesus is here, I was thinking about laying down my first career as a pastor in another faith tradition to become a Catholic priest. I felt driven in the same way to the edges of the wild. In my case, I went to the Pacific. I had never seen it before. And as I stood there on the shore on the brink of this great unknown, probably a great loss, a death to the life I'd known before, and as I was looking into this new beginning that I knew would take shape somehow, but I didn't yet know how, I felt the waves lapping my feet at the edge of that vast, wild, blue expanse, and I felt a sense of infinity of God. And at the slash of the water, the memory of my baptism came back to me. I was baptized as an adult. And that came back to me as, in a very powerful way and my soul steadied from that moment on. The second reading talks about how we find these reminders of who we are everywhere in nature. We do find our baptism echoed in the sacred waters of lakes and rivers that renew us. We find confirmation of the presence of the spirit in the birds that sweep overhead. We find healing in the rays of light that anoint us. We find communion with God tasting the tang of a wild cherry or the softness of the first peach in the summer. Everywhere, Christ's signature. How would we know who we are without the mountains to tell us about strength and endurance, without the stars and the sun to teach us about the different manifestations of light, the many manifestations, without the green and then the red of the leaves to tell us about what passes and what abides? We understand ourselves within and as a part of nature, a larger web of life. And the first reading in Genesis talks about this. It talks about God's covenant, not only with humans, but with all living creatures and all creation. God doesn't single people out in isolation, but makes promises to us alongside all beings. We hear that phrase a couple times in that first reading, all living beings, and God puts us in covenant with them as well. Covenants are agreements about care and responsibilities to each other. They're different from 
contracts, which probably most of us interact with a little more often in our lives. A contract is more about what you're owed and about transactions that will come about, so this in exchange for this. It's very much about what we get from the other party. And this is what has happened to us in the West much of the time, is that we objectify nature. We just look at it in terms of what it can materially give us for profit. By contrast, indigenous peoples talk about nature as a relative. Scientist and spiritual teacher Robin Kimmerer has suggested that maybe rather than call leaves and rivers and flowers by the pronoun it, which sounds kind of detached and cold as if, this was, as if these were merely things, that we use the Anishinaabe-inspired pronoun ki, short for kin. So when we look up and see geese flying overhead, instead of saying of one of them, it's flying south for winter, we'd say instead, look, kin are flying south for winter. Or when a sugar maple gives us syrup, we wouldn't say of the tree, it produced that syrup, we'd rather thank kin for giving us that gift. It makes it feel like a much more personal tie. It also, incidentally, makes us much more hesitant to cut down trees if we think of them as kin. The Noah reading references that ancient mythical story that we all know about God saving creatures and trees and all species along with humans from the shared catastrophe of a flood. Well, now we have to reckon with the fact that God is still saving species from destruction, but now it's often destruction that we humans have contributed to in some way. By some holy, grace-filled twist of evolution, redwood trees are learning to be fire-resistant in California to survive more frequent fires. Plants in the desert have learned how to survive longer droughts by storing up water so they can go weeks without it. Animals from elephants to penguins are shape-shifting as they adjust to warmer temperatures. So God is still at work. God is still valiantly trying to save every living thing from what threatens us. So now is our time to think about how we might heal and protect and minister to creation as it has healed and ministered and protected us. And Lent is a natural time to repair all kinds of relationships. So the Mother Earth Committee will be giving us some tangible ways to uh, make that a part of our Lenten season, care for the earth. It's very easy to link fasting from things like meat and other types of food to being a good steward of the earth. Candace Wells, who attends our five o'clock mass, told me that instead of giving up something this Lent, she's going to plant a tree instead, once the ground thaws. So much begins with just simple adoration. Nothing leads us more quickly into a recovery of how interdependent we are with nature than just intentionally spending time in the wild places where that deep peace comes on us. And so much begins with gratitude for the ways that the earth looks out for us every day. Some of you know Pastor Jen Lassard. She's one of the former ministers of Emmanuel Baptist Church where we have our service on Park Avenue every Tuesday. Over the past year or so, Reverend Jen has gotten deeply involved with an indigenous community in Ecuador, the Siecopai people, 
and with the efforts at water protection and rainforest conservation that they're leading in their part of the world. She's made several immersion trips down there, learning from her adaptive Siakopai family about native plants and techniques of reforestation and ecology that renew the earth in places where climate change has harmed it. A few weeks ago, Jen went down for her latest trip. And when she left the United States, she wasn't feeling great. She'd been sick for several months. She couldn't keep any food down. Her whole system felt off. A few days in rural Ecuador, eating healthy plants, non-processed fruits and vegetables and grains brought her back to health. Partway through the trip, the group decided they were going to hike deep into the rainforest. Jen was still weak enough that with the high altitudes and 95 degrees, the trek wore her out. She couldn't go on. She was so dehydrated and tired. Because of the warming temperatures and more frequent droughts lately, there was no water in that part of the jungle. The rivers had run so low, they were all but gone. But one of her indigenous friends said, hold on, and told her to wait while she went off into the trees. She said, sit down, and the jungle will take care of us. She was gone for a few minutes, and then she returned carrying a branch covered with what looked like coconut-like pods full of oval-shaped white seeds. She cut them open, revealing some light, white liquid. She fed Jen four or five. This intrepid, hidden plant slaked her thirst in a place where it seemed water was nowhere to be found. So even on her mission to care for the earth, the earth was caring for her in a life-saving way. She later learned that this plant is called tagua, or ivory palm. It's endangered, and it can't be cultivated by humans. It only grows wild in the rainforest. The siakopai call it tsua, T-S-E-W-A. So I looked that name up, and I found that it's also a term in Tibetan Buddhism. There, it denotes a quality of the heart, a radical openness that leads you to feel warmth and tenderness for other fragile beings. So a delightful reminder, every material thing is attached to spiritual realities in ways that we can scarcely imagine. May we learn that warmth and tenderness. May our hearts be radically open to the whole web of life whose flourishing is so tied up with ours. May we minister to the earth as she has ministered to us.